Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. Today we have with us Mr. Yannick Kudjo-Virgil, who's the principal of Merlin Acquisitions, a real estate investment and syndication firm with $5.8 million in assets under management. His experience in commercial real estate began as an asset manager by trade for both retail and institutionally capitalized real estate private equity firms with over $1.5 billion in AUM, where he oversaw multidisciplinary portfolios consisting of multifamily, mixed-use, office, retail, and industrial properties across the U.S., Prior to real estate, Yannick played in the NFL for the Tennessee Titans. Yannick holds a BS in kinesiology from the University of Maryland, College Park. And Yannick believes that cash flow is the key to financial freedom. He is also the host of the Mobile Marathon Real Estate Podcast. So let's give Yannick a warm welcome to the show. Let's go. Yannick, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. I can't complain. Woke up this morning, so cannot complain at all. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, yeah, man, I'm excited to have you on. I've been uh, looking forward to this and chopping it up with you. So before we hop in, why don't you give the audience um, a brief background of yourself and um, how you got up to this point in your um, real estate career? It's great. Absolutely. So my backstory is a little bit different. Got into real estate back in 2018 after retiring from the NFL as a linebacker. And what got me into real estate were was one thing. You know, I spent $20,000 one month in the offseason in the, in the NFL. And to this date, I have no idea what I spent it on. And you've heard many stories about NFL athletes or just athletes in general going broke within two to three years of leaving their sport. And I did not want to be a part of that statistic. And part of that journey was also reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because it taught me one thing. It's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. And it was at a pivotal, pivotal time because... Again, I just spent $20,000. I had no idea what I spent it on. And that 20000 could have been used in other spaces that would have been able to generate me money, right? And so it just goes in line with my desire to not be a part of that, that statistic. So today, uh, we are primarily focused in the multifamily space as a, as a multifamily syndicator. I'm operating about 6 million in assets under management. And we're growing in the space of Baltimore city where we find properties that we can renovate, do a value add reposition on it and provide our investors with cash flow and profits from the sale and also tax benefits. So I'm really excited to be on the show today. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, so touching on, what you said about the athletes and in the NFL, what, what percentage 
I know before, I mean, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, we hear about, you know, a large percentage go bankrupt after leaving the league. Is, does that still hold true today or has that improved any in your, in your experience? So I think historically the number was 78% of athletes go broke within, within two to three years after leaving their respective sport. But I think in today's world, there is a new generation of athletes. And what do I mean by that? They're smarter now. They have more access to information. They are making more money off of the field. And the, in the world of sports, athletes follow athletes. So it was cool back then to go buy a Lexus and go buy the big house. It was cool to pull up in the nice Ferrari. What's cool today is entrepreneurship. Right. When we think about the greats like LeBron James, what he's doing, right? He's the first billionaire athlete. When you think about think people like Kobe Bryant, right? People like Serena Williams that are doing great off of the field, that is where the modern day athlete is going to. So I think in in the historical context, that number of seventy eight percent, we're gonna start seeing that dwindle down because athletes are getting more educated and now it's cool to own businesses and 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 quote unquote be a boss right and i'm very excited for the future for in in the athletic space with regards to investing all right awesome and um and i know you and i both are passionate about commercial multifamily real estate um how how well do you think those um the attributes and benefits of commercial real estate are communicated to the athletic community do you think it could be more representative? Definitely. I think as a as within the context of commercial real estate in general, you know, African Americans, you know, um, let's 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 talk about let's talk about this for a sec. You know, in the context of of sport, majority in the NFL, NBA are African Americans, a heavy majority. In the context of commercial real estate, they're less than one percent that are African-Americans in the world of, in the world of commercial real estate and athletics, I don't see a lot of interconnectivity between the two. A lot of athletes are interested in real estate investing, but the world of commercial real estate is, is definitely more challenging to get into, obviously because it's the learning curve, right? You have to know about finance. You have to know, um, how to put these deals together, how to, um, you know, find properties, put, put, them, put them on a contract, build your team. There's a lot that goes into commercial real estate. It's easy to get into residential real estate because you can find a property on Redfin, buy it, renovate it, you know, lease it out and, and do whatever that you please with it. But it's not that easy in commercial real estate. There's so many moving parts and there are, there are less properties available on the market from the commercial perspective versus residential. So I think to answer your question in the context of commercial real estate and athletics, there are not too many people in the athletic space as a whole that are necessarily in commercial real estate. But what my company does is that we provide the education and the resources that help athletes get educated first 
and then bring them investment opportunities for them to invest in to preserve the wealth that they've created in the NFL, in the NBA. So I think over time, we're going to start seeing more and more commercial real estate investors who are former athletes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, I guess, I mean, you're in a perfect position, right? Because you have a direct tap line in, into that community. So it's probably, I mean, by word of mouth, you probably can reach so many athletes. So I think that's such a, so advantageous to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's one of those spaces where it's a very tight knit fraternity and, you know, athletes, know athletes, you know, one person knows another person that knows Tom Brady or one person knows another person that knows um, Lamar Jackson. Right. So it's a close knit, close knit community. And, you know, what I try to do is just be an educator first because I was in their shoes a few years ago, not knowing what to do with a contract that you just signed for seven figures when you were literally just broke a couple of months prior. There's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. And so what I've been doing is just leveraging my journey and using what I've learned to help the people who are coming behind me. And so that's what we do on a day-to-day basis. And to touch on that from going from broke to seven figures when you're entering the league, I know most leagues give some kind of orientation to freshman athletes about, you know, what not to do, what to do. But there is, is there any kind of um, financial education orientation that you guys get to, to help you transition? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm five years removed, roughly, from the NFL. So I don't know what types of training activities that they have today, but from what I'm able to see on the outside looking in and my experience going in is that we definitely did have orientations talking about finances um, from a general perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it was certainly helpful at that time, but I think in today's world, there there are definitely more conversations that are being had in the athletic space and opportunities to get involved in things that are outside of your sport and not just investing as well. And I think that one of the things that they're also um, doing is um, having little seminars and little events um, within the NFL, let's say, for example, NFL Players Association space that allows athletes to congregate in smaller groups, right? To build connections in a specific area that they might be interested in. So I'm a part of one that um, is centered around real estate, right? We get on the call and talk about real estate. Um, Some other folks are interested in tech. Some other folks are interested in other things, right? So it's about just creating those small spaces where athletes can feel comfortable talking about money because historically they have been pitched and they don't want to get into a room where they're going to be pitched with a lot of different investments. Right. So it's about mm-hmm. just, just being a part of those spaces and facilitating that conversation. Okay. And, um, so to, um, move forward. So when you left the league and you started, um, you now have Merlin acquisitions, what, what are some of the biggest challenges you had getting your company 
stabilized and to start to grow? What, what were some of the main obstacles that you 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 saw? I think the the biggest thing for for me it was just the education. You know, I went to school for kinesiology. I didn't know that I was going to get into real estate, and it was challenging for me to get job opportunities because what I wanted to do is I wanted to leverage some of the same um, strategies and skills that I've learned to be successful outside of the world of sport. And you probably know this in, in, in some specific setting, but learning from someone or something requires you studying a certain playbook. For me, I wanted to find different private equity firms who were doing what I wanted to do and I wanted to go work for them because that allowed me to to earn while I learn. And I think that's one of the best ways that people can learn in today's environment if they're looking to, whether it's, you know, go from college to learning real estate or just learning in real estate in general or just joining a, a mentorship group is that when you're able to look into look inside someone else's playbook that automatically gives you the opportunity to leverage all of the things that they did well but then also learn about things that they did bad because yeah, you want to avoid some of those things and mistakes that you you don't want to be a part of because that might be detrimental to your business and so Absolutely. that's 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 essentially what I did is I went to go work for different asset management shops um, private equity firms to learn from people who are doing 50, 100, 200, you know, half a million dollars in deals per year. And that allowed me to really build up my skill set and get a lot of experience, hands-on experience prior to me jumping out and doing my first deal, you know, prior to me jumping out and being full-time in the world of commercial, commercial real estate. I think that's the best way to learn when you're learning from someone else. Absolutely. And that's actually a great strategy. So when you when you decided on that strategy, did you um how easy or how difficult was it to land that first position with with a private equity firm or family office? It was it was different. It was sorry, it was difficult. It was difficult because I didn't have anything on my resume. All I had was kinesiology. And that was basically a glorified exercise science degree. You know, I wanted to be to, to be in physical therapy. You know, my goal, I tell tell people this all the time. I wanted to retire. I wanted to play in the NFL for 10 years. And my goal was to build a gym or a sports complex and then, then just retire off into the sunset and, and then just, just run that gym. So it was challenging trying to get opportunities in the professional setting because I had no finance degree. I had no you know, no background in money. I, again, I went to school for kinesiology, you know, right. real estate finance, that, that's totally different. But one thing, I, one thing I do have is I have hustle. Mm -hmm. And I know that I, if I'm able to be placed in a room with someone who is willing to give me a shot, you really only need one opportunity in life. That's, 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 that's in every sector. You know, they say it all the time in the NFL. All you need is one, one team to like you. So Absolutely. that's, that's all I, I knew that I had to hang my hat on. I knew that I had to hustle and I, I had the work ethic to learn from 
Google University, YouTube University, take different courses to kind of build up that base foundational skill set. And if I'm able to meet someone who is looking for some sort of analyst position or some sort of uh, baseline level position, I'd be able to convince them that I'm the guy that's willing to hustle and work hard and do whatever it takes to add value to their company. And that's what I did. I, I met the first person that hired me officially. I met him at a networking event and we kicked it off and he hired me a couple of weeks later. So it's all about hustle, even though you might not have the education, even though you might not feel like you, you're qualified, as long as you have the work ethic and the hustle to make something happen, you can make anything happen in life. Yeah, I think that's key, especially in, in what we're doing. So like you say, hustle, and I think you can say hustle translates to mindset, right? So I think, yeah, once you look at your resume, they might say, well, yeah, he might not be a good fit. But yeah, like you said, once you get in the room with them and once you get in front of them and you can articulate what your desires and goals are, they'll recognize well, yeah, he has the mindset to make this happen. Because I think, like, while you do need a certain skill set or and knowledge base, 80% of this is mindset. Like you and I talked about before we yeah. before we started recording this mindset. So I absolutely agree with you. All right. So um yeah. what are what are some of the most exciting um projects you guys have worked on so far or currently working on? Yeah, so we um we're working on a couple of deals. Um What's, what's exciting about it is we were able to acquire them before the recent rate hikes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I understood that because of inflation, the rates were going to go up. You know, the Fed's duty is to combat inflation. So we took a different route instead of going to agency on the last couple, couple of deals. Uh, we went to a credit union where we were able to secure a construction of perm loan. And what that allowed us to do is to lock in a favorable construction um, interest rate on the front end that just converts to perm and repriced every five years over five-year treasury. And you know, in the value-add space, if you're able to, to refinance in year maybe three or four and bring your, give your investors the cash their cash back in year three or four, that's great. But where rates are today and where the economy is today and all of the things that are going on in our in our world today, we really don't know where things are going to be year two, year three, maybe year four from now. So just being able to go in with a risk averse plan of having some stability behind the debt at a low interest rate and not necessarily have to refinance in year two or three to give our investors back, get investors the money back, or if we decide to sell the deal. Um, not necessarily be worried about a prepayment penalty. Little things like that, I think, is the best way to really engineer the deal from a debt perspective to put both yourself and your investors in the most favorable favorable position to be successful. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, because that's one of the most challenging things underwriting deals now. Where you're, where you're trying to articulate, yeah, we're going to refinance this two years from now when, yeah, rates have gone up, what, three, four points in the last six months. It's hard to hard to get an investor to to buy into that. Like, we'll be able to refinance at this rate in two years. It's almost impossible. So, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great, great buy-in. And I, and I also think, I also think it's, it's, it's important because, you know, we don't, as investors, we don't have crystal balls, right? We don't know where rates are going to be 
we don't know what's what's going to happen but just having that that comfort going into the transaction that you don't necessarily have to do anything you know as long as things are structured well on the front end and you make sure that you have enough capital raised uh, you make sure that um, all your bells and whistles are, are tied up um, that that's something that that you really you 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 crave for as an operator because there's so many things that can go wrong and can happen and you know through that cycle but the 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 most important thing that we always lead with is protecting our investors capital and doing things on the front end that would allow us to be successful you know that's that's part of our game plan so okay and um which markets are you guys strictly invested in the Maryland market or any particular sub markets you guys are focusing on? Yeah. So primarily Baltimore city. I am from Baltimore city. I know the market very well. It is one of those markets that that's considered a cash flow market. And it's a really strong jobs market. When we talk about a strong market, I think of jobs that are recession resistant jobs mm -hmm. like government jobs, educational jobs, health jobs, that is really the core of Baltimore City. So we really like our market. It's a cash flow market. The hardest part today is just finding those deals. It's very hard to find deals and make deals pencils, pencil because there's a ton of liquidity, as you know, that's coming into the market. And cap rates really haven't shifted that much compared to how aggressive rates have increased. So we're going into a space where it's negative leverage and it's hard to see deals making sense just jumping out the gate, right? Year one. Mm -hmm. And even with interest only on top of it, it's extremely hard. So I think in today's environment, it's really just about protecting yourself from any risk and then also figuring out a way how to be creative, whether it's taking on assumable debt at a favorable, favorable rate other little operational things that you can do on a deal to make the deal pencil. It's tough to find deals, but that's part of the game today. You just have to be creative. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And one more before we hop into the um, lightning round. So um, with your deals, are you finding most of those, are you finding most of the great deals off market or are people bringing you deals? How are you finding those? Are you doing, you have a team doing cold calls out to different, different sellers no so we we are leveraging strict strictly brokers strictly brokers okay. you know i tried the the off-market cold calling strategy in the past and it just it's it's not scalable it's not scalable mm -hmm. you know how i look at businesses is that i'm i, I need to scale because you don't want to be a employee an employee in your own business I want to scale. And so cold calling is something that is not scalable unless you're able to hire a VA. The challenge with that is if you're hiring a VA that's overseas, they may not necessarily have the, the education, call it, to talk, um, to talk in a matter that is, that is quote unquote smart to a specific commercial real estate owner, right? You and I know when you talk to people that are in commercial real estate, you can automatically tell like who's actually in this space, who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. And that's a challenge with, with virtual assistants when you are trying to get into the 100, 
200, 300 unit deals where it's mm-hmm. owned by sophisticated sellers. That has to be an operator to operator conversation or an asset manager to operation operator conversation or an acquisitions to operator conversations. So our strategy from a finding deals perspective is purely direct to broker relationships or leveraging our partners that we're interested in partnering up with to bring us opportunities. All right. Awesome. And are you, are you attending many conferences around, around the country? Uh, how, how often are you attending conferences to network and meet more people? Yeah. I'm, you know, since COVID, I don't want to say since COVID ended because we're still in the COVID <laughs> um, environment, but you know, as COVID has um, depressed, call it in a sense, you know, I've, I've been stepping out and, and having those conversations and going back to meetup mode. And I'm always interested in talking to people who are in the, in the industry, making connections, talking to investors who are interested in investing with us and are looking for diversified opportunities. So as things progress in our modern day era, you know, I expect to be out there and, and being a part of more networking events. All right. Awesome. All right, so let's let's hop into um, the lightning round and get a get a little um, magnified look at your mindset now. So, what what book or books have greatly um, influenced you? Honestly, I'm going to keep it cliche and say "Rich Dad Poor Dad," and I think a mm-hmm. lot of people in the real estate space can probably say the same thing. But that book really changed the trajectory of my life. Honestly. Because before that, you know, I was a frugal person, but when it, when it, when it comes down to really understanding why it's important to invest and how, how important it is to start early and start creating that bucket of wealth, man, I was so excited to, to get into real estate. And that book is really, really has been the most influential, influential book on my life. And it's changed the trajectory of not just only my life, but the future generations to come behind me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that probably was the first book for a lot of people in real estate. And like one of the one of the key things he talked about, like you spoke about being frugal, but I think he he, he articulated you can't you can't save your way to prosperity or you can't save your way to wealth, right? Especially generational wealth. But yeah, you're gonna have to make that money work yeah. for you. And yeah. All right, very cool. So how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? I would say, you know, to me, fail, failure is a part of progress. You know, successful people know how to fail fast. The ones who are able to fail fast, you know, evidently can get it right quicker, right? It just kind of makes sense. You know, if you're able to fail faster than the next person, then you're one step away from getting it right faster than the other person. So in anything that I do, I am trying to, oddly enough, fail, fail fast because you're going to fail. You're going to fail as a, as a part of progress. You know, when we were kids, you know, we tried to, we tried to crawl. We probably failed at that. Then we were able to crawl. We tried to walk. We failed at that. Then we were able to walk. It's just a part of human evolution is is failure. So I think once people like understand that and really embrace like failure is a part of progress. If you're failing, that means that you're doing something right. 
right? Yeah. You're one step closer to achieving that goal. So if you're able to recognize that and recognize that, that successful people know how to fail fast, that's the mindset that you should really take to be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's almost like we have to unlearn what we've been taught in the education system where, where failing is bad, right? And we're taught, yeah, you, you can't fail. You need to always have the right answers, right? Like you said, you need to yeah. do that for progress. So, all right, awesome. So Yannick, if you could have a billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Um, I'd probably have a billboard that says, invest with us, <laughs> cash flow <laughs> equals, <laughs> equals financial freedom, right? I really believe that cash flow is financial freedom. You know, people that work a W-2 job, a lot of people in this in America work paycheck to paycheck. And I haven't met someone in in life that 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 nine times out of ten would say, you know, if, if there was a way to replace your W two income with free cash flow from something else, you know, would you really work that job? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, when I signed my employment agreement, it didn't say employment guarantee. Like this is not guaranteed money, like like, like an NFL or NBA contract, right? This is employment at will. So you are always one step away from a decision by someone else on your future. So I think, man, if you really want financial freedom, you really have to focus on building that cash flow bucket because if you're working a job, no matter what happens today or tomorrow, if if your money is not guaranteed, then you are under the finger of someone else's decision. Yeah. So cash flow equals financial freedom. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. And Yannick, do you have a habit or routine that you love? Yeah, yeah. So I usually start my week with the top three things needed to make progress in our business. And when I started in business in general, entrepreneurship, I was just all over the place. I was reading emails, um, answering phone calls, answering texts just doing a lot of things that really did not add to the bottom line or help me progress forward in my business. So one of the things that I like to do every week is I try to figure out, hey, what are the top three things I need to do to make progress in our business today? Because those top three things are likely the things that are going to help me get to the next level or just make overall business progress. And I think it's the saying that that goes, you know, um, 20% of your efforts reap 80% of your results. It's the same thing. You know, the top three things that you're able to do on a week, week to day basis would create that 80% of your results in your business. All right. Absolutely. And what is your favorite place to think big? <laughs> I, I would say my shower. <laughs> My shower is the is, is my favorite place to to think big. I mean, it's just you and just your mind, right? I mean, people, mm-hmm. you just have all sorts of different thoughts about you know what you can do, what you, what you, what you can eat. You know, that is my favorite place to to think big because a lot of times I'm getting out the shower, I'm going straight to my computer because I had this great idea or this this topic I wanted to research, or it's just a place where you could kind of just be inside your mind and kind of let your mind be creative. Yeah, where you know you're not going to be interrupted, right? Or no distractions. Exactly. 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 All right. 
and a couple of more. So what have you become better at saying no to? Oh, man, this is a really good one. I would say spending time on non-income generating activities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's when you're a full-time entrepreneur, it, everything is on you. You know, everything from the success of your business to the tasks, tasks that you might do on a day-to-day basis, you know, everything is on you. And it's not like you working for a company or you get, you're getting that paycheck every week where, you know, not, not with, notwithstanding the amount of work you do, you're, you're still going to get paid on a weekly basis. In the world of entrepreneurship, if you don't know how to be productive, if you don't know how to focus on income generating activities, you're not going to make any money. So a lot of times things that are not creating any benefit to me or my business or is not generating any income, like answering an email or answering a text message, that is not something that I want to spend my time. I want to make sure that when I'm in bed, hopefully by 10, sometimes by 12, sometimes by one, I can hang my hat on doing things that are progressing me forward. Because if I'm not progressing forward in the world of business, then what's the point, right? All right, awesome. All right, and last one, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? Um, That real estate is the best business plan to get rich for sure. Real estate to me is a business where you can become a mogul starting from little to no capital. It's one of the few businesses I can honestly say that 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 you can really become a, a mogul from. You know, I've seen a lot of people that started off at whole at wholesaling properties that now own thousands of units in the multifamily space. Um I, I really love real estate because it's the epitome of generational wealth, especially cash flow in real estate when you can hold those properties over time and you can pass it on for generations to generations. So for me, my plan is to, um, you know, once I have kids in the future, one of them at least is going to have one property or think about like, think about the prop. If you had a property during college, college is one of those years where you were always trying to scrap up the Pell Grant money yeah, and you were just trying yeah. to make it happen and $20, you were rich yeah. for the weekend, right? So if my kids have a have a property that's cash flowing, you know, per per kid in college, they'd, I mean, they would be Jeff Bezos in college, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would be considered rich, right? So, um, man, I, I really love real estate and, um, you know, it's it's really the best business plan that I think allows you to get rich for sure over time. You know, it's not a get rich quick, it's a get rich for sure. Absolutely, yeah, I think I think that's key. So when you're talking about becoming wealthy, you, you stress that, yeah, over time. So it's definitely not, you, you have to have perseverance, but it's definitely worth worth your while. All right, all right, Yannick. So yeah, that, that was awesome. So great to have you on. So before we hop off, um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out and contact you and collaborate? And speaking of mogul, Please tell us, please t- tell us a little bit about your podcast as well before you hop off also. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so we have a podcast 
called the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We are so excited that we're able to share the opportunities, uh, share the experiences from our guests that help our li our listeners and our audience become a real estate mogul. So follow that, the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. And you can always go to my website. Our company is called Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N-N, acquisitions.com. And feel free to um, send us an email if you definitely want to have a quick call about us, about real estate investing opportunities. And for anyone that's interested in getting, real, getting into real estate, I'm always happy to have a 10, 15 minute phone call about real estate investing. So thank you so much for having me on the show today. Oh, likewise. Thanks for um, spending a little bit of your time with us and sharing some of your wisdom and experience. We really enjoyed it, man. Look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Enjoy the weekend. Likewise. Thank you. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves.